I feel it quite an honour to, I think, uh, preach on what I consider probably the most fantastic topic uh, anyone can speak about. And as I was reflecting on our topic, I thought it's been quite some time since we've actually talked about this. And so um, as I like to, I always like to start with a question. Um, my question today is, what are you preparing for? in life um, going, to <laughs> going to heaven awesome well our families we're, we're preparing for a uh, a trip next year uh, to go north um, and so we're, we're going to spend a fair few weeks as a family um, and so we're, we're looking at our uh, calendars and our holiday breaks and we're preparing we're looking at what gear we need to take to make it a, an enjoyable trip. And uh, we're looking at our budget and starting to save for that as well. Um, and, and so we're, we're going... Thanks, honey. We're preparing for our trip. Behind um, every great woman is a blessed man. Uh, and what are you preparing for? Um, HSC ended for... Some students uh, this week preparing for after school. Um, some students are actually preparing to go to school. Uh, maybe you're preparing for a marriage this year or next year or in the future. Maybe you're preparing for a child's arrival, a grandchild maybe. A colleague of mine, his wife was due yesterday. Um, maybe you're preparing for a job change or preparing to stop working in retirement. Um, what are you preparing for? All of us are preparing for something. Um, but how are you preparing for the return of Christ? Do you give it much thought at all? And uh, Revelations tells us, Behold, there's our behold for this week. Behold, he is coming with the clouds. And when we think about revelations, we can think about it as either a glass half full or a glass half empty. How do you think about the return of Christ? Is it a, a joyful thought or is it a fearful thought? How do you view your glass? Um, well, turn with me to Revelations, chapter 1, verse 7. It says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds. Um, but to give a little bit of context around revelations in general here, okay? Um, verse 1 tells us that the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place, so it's, it's a revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave to his servants. And how did he give it? He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ. Okay, so that gives a, a little bit of general context. It's a revelation from God given to his servant through an angel. But verse 4 John starts to speak to the churches in Asia. Um, and these are, these are real churches 
that gathered together. I've been to the places earlier this year where they actually gathered together these seven churches. But it's also a word for all believers of all time. And John goes on, he says, Grace to you, a greeting, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth. John is making it clear who this message is from. It's not just something that he's thought of. It's not just something that's been impressed upon his heart. But this is a message from the one who is, who was and who is to come, the Almighty, from Jesus Christ himself. And, he, and I want you to take note of the tone of this letter. And as you read through the book of Revelations, I want you to read it through a glass half full mindset. And that's what I believe God wants us to do as well. And what John communicates here. He goes on and he says, To him who loves us. Okay, This is the context of what this book is written. To him who loves us. And we've sung about that today. God who loves us. And I want you to keep that in mind as we go through this message and as you read through the book of Revelation. It's it's written through the lens of love. And it says, and has freed us. Uh, we never have to doubt God's love for us. He's sent his son to free us by the shedding of his blood. And he has made us a kingdom. His people, his loved ones, he's made us a kingdom. And, and more than that, he's actually made us priests. Those who have received his love, those who have been freed by the shedding of his blood, who have become his people, he's actually made us priests to his God and Father. Put that on your resume. I'm a priest of the one who is and was and is to come, the King of Kings. So that's, that's the lens that you want to read Revelations through. That's that's the framework I want you to have as we unpack today and thinking about Jesus coming. It's no wonder that John then goes on to, to praise and honour God. He says, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The one who loves us, the one who's freed us from our sin by the shedding of his blood. It cost him something. And he has made us a kingdom, a people and priests. Then we read these beautiful words. Behold, he's coming in the clouds. And when he does, every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. Today, you need to hear from the one who is, the one who was, and the one who is to come. The one who loves you, the one who's freed you, the one who has made you his. And you need to hear Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Do we live in that reality? Yeah. I hope so. We should because that's the reality Jesus wants us to live in. That's the re reality Jesus wants us to, to live and exist with this eager expectation like a bride waiting for the bridegroom to come. 
we're his bride. He wants you to be ready. And I, I could say a lot about this. I really struggled this week to really narrow down, okay, Lord, what do you want me to talk and share on this week? Um, but the, the questions I want us to look at, there's three. First of all, when is Jesus coming? Second, why is Jesus coming? And third, how does Jesus want us to live until he comes? And I've, I've chosen these three questions, these three big things, because they're the three big things that Jesus concentrates on with his disciples. And so I want us to go back to Matthew, the book of Matthew, Matthew 24. And this first question, when is Jesus coming? This is a real question that we need to wrestle with. It's one of our young ones after last week's message was asking the question, well, when is Jesus coming? Is he really coming? Is, is Jesus actually coming? It's one that has been wrestled with down through the ages and it's a, it's a question that Jesus' own disciples wrestled with. And in John, uh, sorry, Matthew chapter 24, now uh, um, here's a bit of a spoiler alert here. Uh, verse uh, 36 is a huge spoiler for this question. Who's got it? It says, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. It's a bit of an anticlimax, isn't it? You know, when's Jesus coming? Well, no one knows. The angels don't know. The Son, Jesus doesn't know. Only the Father knows. And so um, Jesus didn't say, you know, those who have a, a prophetic gift that they know, so listen to them. He didn't say those with some religious status know, so, so listen to what they say. No, Jesus says no one knows. I don't even know. The angels don't know. I could just picture the angels in heaven going, Father, is it now? Is it now? Do we go? No one knows. Only the Father knows. So if, if someone comes to you and says, this is the day and time that Jesus is returning, run as far as you can. Don't listen to them. Block them on your feed. Delete their sermons. Nobody knows Jesus has said so. Okay? So don't give an audience to those who want to predict the day and time of Christ's return. Jesus makes it clear. But Jesus does tell his disciples, and he does tell us, what to look out for, the signs to look out for. And so turn back in Matthew 24, Matthew 24 and verse 3. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, it says, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. This, this is the first sign Jesus warns us about. He warns his disciples. Many will come and say, I am the Christ. There's going to be religious deception before Jesus returns. 
Some will come and say, I am the Christ. I'm the messenger. I'm the anointed one from God. Now, we're already seeing that today, aren't we? Who is the Messiah of the Islamic movement who came five, six hundred years after Christ? Proclaiming he's the anointed one. There's been many since and there's going to be more to come that claim I am the Christ. But there's also going to be a religious deception that doesn't just lead many away from Christ. There's going to be one who comes claiming to be God, not just a Messiah. And so if you're quick in your flipping, go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're coming back to Matthew, so leave your finger in there. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 3 says, Let no one deceive you in any way. For that day, that's the day of the coming of Jesus, will not come unless the rebellion comes first. And listen, and the man of lawlessness is revealed. The son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, listen, proclaiming himself to be God. Jesus warns us not to be led astray by Christ counterfeits. Not to be paying attention to the religious deceptions that are out there. Those who are coming to say, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Christ. Those who set themselves up, up to be God. Matthew 24 again. Jesus goes on. Matthew 24, verse 6. And you will hear of wars. Second sign. And rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Two more signs. Wars, rumors of wars. And not just minor conflicts, nations against nations, kingdom against kingdoms. And we're going to see earthquakes and famines. We're going to see natural disasters across the earth. More signs of Jesus coming. And you say, Aaron, isn't this happening now? Well, verse 6 brings some comfort. But the end is not yet. There's going to be religious deception. There's going to be wars. There's going to be natural disasters. But the end is not yet. Verse 8. These are the beginnings of the birth pains. This is just the beginning of the end. I could just imagine Jesus' disciples sitting there going, hang on, hang on. There's more? That's devastating in itself. But there's more to come? This is not the end? And maybe you're sitting here today thinking, what? There's more to come? Yeah, there is. Jesus looks at them and, and says, you know, per persecution is going to come to my people. Verse 9. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Christians will be hated, persecuted, 
I think of our brothers and sisters in Pakistan. How they read this passage. Or our friends in Asia or China. North Korea. But do you notice there that Christians are going to be hated by all nations? Not just some. This is going to be a global event. Christians everywhere will be hated by the world. They'll be persecuted. They'll be killed, tortured. Death will come. It says there, and many will fall away in verse 10. Listen to what happens next. And they'll betray one another and hate one another. So there's not just going to be conflict from the world towards Christians. There's going to be conflict between Christians to one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. False prophets within the church, outside the church, will come, arise and what? Lead more astray. The enemy's deal is to lead as many away from Christ as possible by causing as much strife and conflict. Goes on verse 12. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Christians will lose their joy for following Christ. Many of the faith will grow cold in their walk with the Lord. Take a breath. There's going to be religious deception, wars, natural disasters. There's going to be conflict towards Christians. There's going to be conflict between Christians. There's going to be false prophets. There's going to be leading people falling away. It's really not a pretty picture. But where there is Christ, there is always hope. Let me just say that again. Where there's Christ, there is always hope. In verse 13, there's a but. I love the buts of the Bible. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. God never abandons his people. And amid all this deception, amid all this turmoil, amid all this destruction, infighting, persecution and death, amid all of that, verse 14, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world to all nations. Then the end will come. There's always hope in Christ. Those who enjoy endure, Endure, <laughs> will be saved. And the gospel during this time will spread to all nations. You look at where the gospel is growing the fastest across the world and spreading the fastest across the world. It's not in the comfortable, prosperous nations. It's in the nations where persecution is taking place. Good news at last. The end will come. A promise from the one who is, the one who was, and the one who is to come. Finally, he will come. Behold, he will come with the clouds. But why does Jesus wait so long? Why is he so slow in coming? 
Well, verse 14 gives us a hint here. It's so the gospel can reach all people of all nations. It's so that all humanity has a, an opportunity to respond to Jesus. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 tells us, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. It's God's love for the lost that holds him back from coming. He doesn't desire any to perish, but that all should reach repentance. He's coming. We don't know when, no one does, but we know the signs to look for. And we know there's good news. He delays for the salvation of souls. That leads us to our second question. Why is Jesus coming? Why is Jesus coming? Jesus makes it clear what signs to look for. But why is Jesus coming? And, and Jesus gives his disciples three good reasons why he's coming. Verse 21 of chapter 24. Verse 21, he says, For there will be great tribulation such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But here's the good news. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Why is Jesus coming? First reason, to save his people, the elect. For the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. God's love for his people motivates him to take action. You think back in Genesis, the relational nature of God. Let us make man in our image. An expression of love, the creation of mankind. And yet mankind rebelled against God, their creator. The one who is. So God sent Moses to save his people again because he loves his people. And he gave them the law. He set the law up for them, for their prosperity, for their protection, for, to function as a society because he loved them. And yet we still mess it up. So he sends Jesus again because he loved the whole world. He didn't want any to perish. That whoever believes in Jesus, puts their faith in Jesus, will be saved. An expression of love. And here we see again that Jesus withholds from coming because he loves all mankind and wants all to be saved. And then when he comes, he comes to save his people because he loves his people. Jesus is coming motivated by love to protect his people, to gather his people, to complete his work of salvation. Matthew 24 keeps going on and talks about the false prophets and and other things taking place. And then we get to verse 29. He speaks of how he's going to appear. Immediately after the tribulation, verse 29. Verse 30. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes on earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. With power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather his elect 
from the four winds from one end of heaven to another. What an entrance. Can you imagine it? Coming on the clouds, loud trumpet calls, angels. We, we can't imagine it, really. The second reason why he's coming is right there. He's coming to gather his people into his everlasting kingdom. Verse 31. He will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect. Since the beginning of creation, it's been God's desire to be with his people and for his people to be with him. And so he's coming to gather us. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16 says, For the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Always be with the Lord. He's coming to gather us to always be with him. Under his protection, in his presence, where there's no more persecution, where there's no more wars, there's no more suffering, there's no more fears or tears with Christ forever. In an everlasting kingdom, the ancient writings talk about this in Daniel 7. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, it says, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one is one that shall not be destroyed. If, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your saviour, if you've placed your trust in him, you're going to join with me in an everlasting kingdom that will never be destroyed, never be overcome. And you're going to be joining all the saints, all the elect, from all time of all nations, gathered with Jesus for eternity. How awesome is that? That's nothing to sneeze about. It's nothing to... Uh, take lightly we're going to be gathered with our saviour for eternity but how is it on earth does that take place because he loves us because he freed us and because he made us a kingdom priests he's coming because he loves us to complete his salvation and he's coming to gather us his people into his kingdom and third, Jesus is coming to judge all humanity. This is when sometimes we squirm as Christians. Because sometimes we don't like talking about this. But remember, we need to read this through the lens of God's love for humanity. Verse 31 of chapter 25 Matthew chapter 25 and verse 31. <clears throat> when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come. You who are blessed by my Father, 
inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And then the king will answer them. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me, naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Wow. All people of all nations will be separated and judged. It appears according to their works. But this, this parable is not about the works that you do in order to get into heaven. That, that's not what Jesus is talking about here. Remember his disciples said, what's the sign of your coming? And he listed the signs and then he talks about his return. And one of the reasons he's coming is to judge. And he says, look, when all this was going on, what did you do? How did you live? And it's easy to read this particular passage from verse 31 and think if I live a good life, I might have enough credit to get into heaven. I might just be good enough and meet Jesus' standard. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. No one can be saved by their works. No one is saved by the way you live your life. How are we saved? We are freed by our sins, by the shedding of Christ's blood, by repenting and putting our trust in him. The Bible is clear about that. Make no mistake. So this parable here, what Jesus is talking about, is not about living a good life to get into heaven. So what's he talking about then? Jesus is mentioning these works as um, a type of fruit that comes from followers of Christ. Those who follow Christ are going to minister to Christ. Okay? And, it, and it's expressed in the way that we treat each other. Okay? That's what Jesus is talking about here. And that's why he says in verse 44 to, to the curse that you didn't minister to me. Well, those who don't follow Jesus, those who haven't surrendered their life to him, are not going to minister to Jesus, right? So those who have rejected Jesus 
will not minister to him. And they are separated from him and his kingdom. This separation was never intended by God. It's a result of our rebellion from God. We were created to be with God for eternity, always. And you'll notice in verse 41 that the eternal fire was never intended for humanity. Look at it, verse 41. Jesus says it was prepared for who? The devil and his angels. So as a just judge, Jesus blesses those who have chosen to follow him, who live and serve him and others. And Jesus curses those who have chosen to reject him. Jude, verse 15, tells us, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of their deeds, of their ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Jesus has the final say. He convicts the ungodly of their deeds. So as you look around the world today and you see the atrocities that are happening, both here in this town and in other places around the world, remember Jesus has the final say. When you think about the atrocities that have been inflicted upon you or the ones that you love, remember Jesus has the final say. He's the judge. We don't have to sit in the judgment seat. Jesus is already there. And he has the final say. Paul writes to the Christians in Corinthians. I said that all people are judged, right? That includes Christians. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says, We walk by faith, not by sight. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Paul's talking to Christians here. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is done for each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. As Christians, we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. But we need to understand that's not for our salvation. Again. Not that we've worked our way into heaven, that we've lived good enough for Jesus. We're already saved on the cross. Jesus said, it is finished. Those who put their faith in him can be assured of their salvation. So what are we getting judged for? Well, for how we've lived our life. How we've spent the life that he's given us as his people, his kingdom people. How we've served him as priests. So how are you living your life? Freed by the blood of your Saviour. Which leads me to my final question, which I'm going to cover next week. How are we to live the life now before he's coming? I want to go back to Revelations to finish today off. Revelations Chapter 1, verse 5a. 
Sorry, 5b. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sin by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming in the clouds. We don't know when, but he's coming to save us, to gather us, the judge. Lord, we thank you so much that you look upon us, people who mess up so much, and yet you say that you love us. You've shown that you love us by coming to this earth, by giving your life on the cross, by raising to life again, and by giving us your promise that you're coming to have the final say, to gather us, your people, to save us. Thank you, Lord, for your love, for your kindness. This week, Lord, help us to remember how much you love us and to be living worthy for the calling that you've given us, your people, your priests. Amen.